All right, good morning, beloved. Good to see everyone. I want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We have made it to 1 Peter chapter 2. This morning I want to read verses 1 through 3 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We'll start by reading these verses once through together, and then there's a lot of great stuff here for us to unpack. So, beginning in verse 1. Here now is the word of the living and true God. Peter writes, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if indeed you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Love for God's word has always been a marker of true disciples. In fact, it was Jesus who said in John eight thirty one, If you abide or continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You can know the truth. And then a little further in that chapter, Jesus also said in verse 47, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. You also have the Apostle Paul, who said in Romans chapter 7, verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. It was God's word that sustained him as he took the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And of course, there were all of the Old Testament saints. It was Job who said, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. In other words, I have lived on God's word at times over that physical food. Beloved, that's Matthew 5, 6, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they will be filled. The psalmist said in the very first psalm, in fact, that the godly man or woman is characterized as one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates them day and night. In other words, he can never get enough of them. It was likely David, the author of these 19th Psalm, who said, The word of God is more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. But the richest testimony, at least the most uh, consummate and extensive testimony, is found in the 119th Psalm, where it's filled with 176 verses that testify to the psalmist's delight and dependence on God's word. Uh, he says, for example, go through a couple of these, and uh, verses 15 to 16, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes, O God. I shall not forget your word. Verse 35. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. In verse 57. The Lord is my portion 
I have promised to keep your words. Verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 74. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. Verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then the last one I'll share, verse 174. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. So over and over again, we see an emphasis on longing for and delighting in the truth of God's word. The question is, do you? Do you long for God's truth? Do you delight in his word? Not do you look through your Bible every once in a while, but do you long for the pure, unadulterated, spiritual milk of God's word? And I can say before we get into this that it's incredibly sad how many people are sitting in supposed churches right now who never hear the scriptures being taught. Or no one within the church is discipling one another. Or the preacher is too busy cracking jokes to rightly divide God's word. And most of this polls, uh, recent polls tell us is because the bulk of our American churches are biblically illiterate. In fact, according to the State of the Bible report, comes out every year this year in 2022, listen to this, only 39% of professing Christians said they read their Bibles on their own three to four times a year. So before we jump into our text today, we all need to ask ourselves an honest question. Do I have a longing to know God's truth? Do I have a longing to know God's truth? And I think that's most of you here. That's one of the reasons why you're here. You want to be fed God's word. But let me just say, this is a marathon, folks. It's a marathon. Um, there's zero verses in here that we need to just rush through. God's truths are so deep and so endless and can apply to so many facets of our life. And we need that now more than ever. We need to know what God says. Not what I got to say. Not what the politicians have to say. What does God have to say? Because that's how we're going to know how to navigate through this crazy world. So, <clears throat> And beloved, our God has spoken. He has spoken. And isn't that incredible? We possess the very word of God and live in a society where at least for now we're free to share it, to preach it, to teach it without much persecution at all. And who knows how long that will last for. So look advantage of it while God has been so gracious to us. So as we turn our attention out of the text, the question Peter answers for us here in this text is how do you get to that place where you're spiritually prompted to long for God's word? That's the question. How do you get to the place like the psalmist in Psalm 42, verse 1, as the deer pants for the water, 
so my soul pants for you, O God. Where you have that longing, that passionate desire for God's word. How is that cultivated? Well, Peter surrounds this command here with five motivations that if followed will lead to a stronger prompting and more consistent desire to feed on God's word. So let's look at these that he lays out here for us. Motivation number one that we can see in this text is remembering your life source. Remembering when you received life. Uh, that life source will be laid out for us here. So let's look at this text and then see the first word there of chapter 2. What does it say? Therefore or, or so. Right. So whenever we see the word therefore, we have to ask, uh, what's it therefore, right? It's referring to something there before, and that's what Peter's doing. Peter's connecting the thought from before with something he's already said. So what did he just say? Well, let's go back to chapter 1 and see. He said specifically there in verse 22, since you have an obedience to the truth, since you have uh, believed in the gospel and purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again. So we saw last week, he's talking about their salvation. Since you've been justified um, and regenerated and now have the capacity to love one another with that agape love we looked at last week. Verse 43, for or because you have been born again. And then he says all this has been accomplished through a seed which is imperishable. And what seed did he use? Verse 23, the living and enduring word of God is through God's word. And then in verse 24, you remember he quotes uh, Isaiah chapter 40. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, Peter's point then is this, because you've already experienced firsthand the immense power of God's word, having been born again, why would you long for it every moment like a newborn baby longs for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. The word of God isn't just powerful in your salvation, it's powerful in your sanctification. This word which gave you new life in Christ will uh, sustain and enrich that new life. It moved you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's precious son. It moved you from the wrath of God into the grace of God. You've already experienced this life-giving power through his word by the power of his spirit, why on earth would you leave it behind now that new life has just begun? This is the living and abiding word of God. 
it's the imperishable seed that God used that brought forth life. It transformed you from the inside out through the regenerating work of God's Holy Spirit. The word is the seed in Matthew 13, that when sown on good soil bears fruit. In James chapter 1, verse 18, he says, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. In Philippians 2.16, Paul calls it the word of life. It's our life source. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the writer to the Hebrews says the word of God is living and active. This is an incredible truth. Think about it. There's no other book in the world that possesses this kind of power. God's word is living and it is active. And when God's word is applied, it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So in other words, as God's word goes out, it's just not static. It's not idle. God's word has the power to make what is dead alive. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, the apostle Paul says, the word of God is at work in believers. That imperishable seed that was planted on fertile soil doesn't stop working at the new birth. Rather, as you keep drinking the pure milk of the word, you continue to grow in your salvation, how you're being purified and sanctified through God's word, transforming him or her from the inside out. Just as a baby longs for her mother's milk, we need to continue getting our nutrients through the pure milk of the word. God said through his prophet Isaiah, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth that shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I have sent it. God's word always accomplishes his redemptive purposes. It is the means by which he saves. As Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes from what? Hearing, and hearing through the words of Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the gospel, the very words of Christ, have the power to give us life. John said in his gospel, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You remember that from our time in John's gospel. In John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer. Praise Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word of God has given you life, a new love, a new and joyous hope of peace and forgiveness and grace. And so Peter's question is this, if you already know the power of the word to do that, why would you not crave and long for what it can continue to do in your life now? 
That's the point. Do we get so cold and so indifferent, so far away from our conversion, so far away from that transformation that we become indifferent to such an equaled source of power? I want to long for his word. I want the word of God in my mind. I want the word of God in my heart because I want to know the power of God in my life. I've seen the word kill the old self. I've seen the word kill that old man and create in me a, a new life and a new heart, a new will, a, a new mind. And I want continually now, day in and day out, to see that power expressed in my life until the Lord returns. So if you're going to have a longing for God's word, you've got to remember that what he's already accomplished in your life through that word. Remember what he did in your conversion. Secondly, Peter says you have to eliminate your sin. Eliminate sin. Verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. The verb there, uh, apotithime, is translated here, putting aside. It means to, to get rid of, to lay aside, to, to, to reject. Before you can desire or long for the pure milk of the word, you must lay aside these evil trappings. This verb was often used for removing your um, filthy garments. He's commanding us then to, to strip off and, and leave behind those old sinful habits in your life. In fact, the early Christian baptisms um, often reflected this attitude. They would be baptized in their old clothing, and then after their baptism, they would give them a nice clean robe to put on them after to wear, symbolizing this truth that the old has been buried and the new has been donned. The ugly elements of our old life are sometimes still trying to hang on to us and need to be dealt with, otherwise they will spoil the spiritual appetite of the milk and they will take away the taste for holy truth and they will dull the desire for God's word. James says, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Sin produces death, the word produces life. They're incompatible with one another. That's why Hebrews 12.1 tells us to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder of and protector of our faith. So let's look at these five sins that are listed here. Um, this isn't an exhaustive list. It's not meant to be, but rather a, a summary of sins. The first one is, is really all-encompassing. He says, putting aside all malice. It's the word uh, kakia in the Greek. It's an all-inclusive word for evil. It conveys the the general idea of just wickedness. That's actually how it's translated in Acts 2, 8, uh, 22 when Peter told Simon the magician, repent therefore of 
this wickedness of yours. And I have zero appetite. And, and that's what it is. The sin creates in you this, this not much of an appetite for God's word. And the reason for this is because you may have left behind your first love. As we see in Revelation. He says in Revelation 2.5, The Lord Jesus, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. Secondly, Peter commands us to put aside all deceit. Now this word deceit is an interesting word. It's a Greek word, doulos. It literally means to bait. What do you do when um, you go fishing? Uh, you put the bait onto the fish hook and you lure the fish, making the fish think you're going to feed him when really, Henry, you're going to eat the fish. Now, of course, uh, it's not sinful to go fishing, but it's sinful to deceive your brothers or sisters in Christ. The third sin Peter lists here is the word hypocrisy. It's originally identified as an actor who would um, disguise himself with a mask. Hopefully this is a place where all of your masks can come off and you can be authentic. Hip uh, hypocrisy also describes any behavior that isn't genuine or consistent with one, what one really believes or says that he or she believes. And then number four, Peter talks about envy. Envy defines the attitude of those who resent others' um, prosperity. Any resentment of someone else's situation in life or, or their possessions, anything that leads to a grudge or bitterness or hatred or conflict. And then that leads us to number five, as Peter says, lay aside all slander. And we all know what slander is. To slander someone is when we go around blabbering about someone else behind their back. It's a word that uh, literally means evil speaking, to speak evil about someone, to defame them, to gossip. And in fact, this is all quite opposite, by the way, to chapter 1, verse 22, where he says to have a sincere love for the brethren, to fervently love one another from a pure heart. So Peter says if we're going to love one another and be the church of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to strip off all that filth at the door. Leave it there at the door. Confess it. Repent of it so we can turn to God, clean hands, pure hearts, and love for his people. We have enough hardships out there in the world. The last thing we need to be doing is tearing one another down from in here. That brings us to the third element here that contributes to the longing for the word. Number one, remembering your life source. You've already experienced the life-changing power of God. Why on earth would you cheat yourself out of it now? Number two, eliminate your sin, confess it, repent of it. And then number three, admit your need. Admit your need. Believers need God's truth like a baby needs its milk. Notice what Peter says there in, in verse number two. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. Peter sort of piles up his words here. He doesn't just say like babies long for the pure milk of the word. He says like newborn babies. And the two words here are intentional. is to identify a baby 
who has just been born out of the womb and is crying and looking to be fed for milk. And where does that baby directly go to get its milk? To its mother's breast, where God has already prepared the milk. And I've got to tell you something, ladies, and I hate to burst their bubbles here, but at that moment, the baby doesn't care what colors are. It doesn't care what kind of shoes it is that you got in or what blanket you're going to wrap it in. That baby doesn't care about any of that. The only thing at that moment that baby cares about is milk. Is milk. And when they don't get their milk, what do they do? They cry. The hungrier they get, the louder they will cry. Now, what about you? Are you like that? Is that what happens to you? Do you crave the word like a newborn baby craves and needs its mother's milk? That's what Peter's getting at here. And do you know what else a mother's milk is just so wonderfully designed by God? It has the antibodies and nutrients that protects that, that uh, precious little life as well as defense mechanisms as it helps um, strengthen um, the baby's immune system. I mean, and then isn't just nursing a baby so wonderful as the, the baby nestles in its mother's bosom and in such a, a beautiful and tender way for the mother to, to nurture and to love the baby and that intimacy between the, the mother and child, all designed by our Heavenly Father. And that's the analogy here that Peter's using. He's talking about longing for the pure milk of the word and recognizing on your own that you don't have all that you need. You are not self-sufficient. You need more nourishment. You need more protection. You want to be sure that you can sort truth from error and not become a victim of Satan's wiles and cunning craftiness of lies and deceit. You want the word to protect you from the onslaught of the enemy and his subtle temptations. You long for the word because you want to grow spiritually into maturity. You want to long for the word so you can gain victory over sin and its temptations. You want to know the word so that you can be used for the glory of God's kingdom. You want to crave the word because it speaks to your intimacy and total dependence on him as it draws you right into the arms of God. And then let me say this before we move on. You know, the church has learned to be satisfied with junk food. You know that? It really has. It's really become incredibly sad. Uh, the mega church is now um, really just the business. It's what's advertised to the general public on TV. Um, and really, let's face it, it has become a, a business and certainly not focused on teaching or preaching God's word, um, but rather it's centered around entertainment and motivational speakers. That's what the people have come to see, and the customers are always right. And as a result of this, the church no longer has an appetite for the pure, uncontaminated, pure spiritual milk of the word, and consequently they've become weak, malnutritioned, unprotected, and lack true intimacy with God. And beloved, we are in desperate need for the word in the church today. We have become weak Christians who go to weak churches, rampant with spiritual malnutrition. We have very little spiritual discernment and very serious deficiencies in our immune system, which make the church incredibly 
vulnerable to all kinds of infection from error because it hasn't been appropriately nourished. Now, we certainly here don't have all the bells and whistles and don't get it all correct, but I will promise you one thing, beloved. Your pastor spends every day studying the scriptures, and I only care about one thing, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to this flock. That's all I care about. That's all I care about. And I think that's why you're here. That's why you're here. One verse at a time. The church needs to be like newborn babies, desperately in need, now more than ever, for the pure milk of the word. Even Jesus used scripture to combat temptations. And what did he tell Satan in the wilderness? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If Jesus used scripture to do spiritual battle, don't you think we might also need to? Well, let's move to number four and pursuing your growth. Pursuing your spiritual growth. Notice what it says there at the end of verse two. So that by it, by longing for the pure milk of the word, you may grow in respect to salvation. And salvation is such a, a beautiful, wonderful reality, embraces the whole of the kingdom experience. And this is what you want to grow in, right? If you want to experience your salvation to the fullest extent, uh, if you want to participate in all the best that God has for you, or to use the words that uh, Peter said in 2 Peter 3, verse 18, if you want to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you need to get into his word. And it's not about just collecting knowledge up here. I want to know more of his word because the more I know of his word, the more I know him. Him. The goal for me is not to know the Bible. The goal for me is to know the God of the Bible. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, who is a great example for us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 14. He said, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. So I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own deriving from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's, that's what pursuit of God 
That's what it looks like, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't content where he was. And this is Paul already at the age of 60, still saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. He said, but I press on. Paul had already been an apostle for over 30 years, done plenty for the kingdom of God. He's currently locked up in prison and didn't know whether he was going to live or die when he's writing this. So for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And yet all he could think about is that I might know him more. And I'd say to Paul, man, I've got news for you. You know him a lot more than the rest of us. Uh, but for Paul, it wasn't enough to just stay where he was. He said, I haven't laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. What's the goal? The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to know my Savior. He's saying, I'm pressing on. I'm pursuing Christ. I'm going as fast as I can after him. And so Paul and the other disciples show us if you ever get content with where you are spiritually, you're really cheating yourself out of the riches of knowing God more fully. Now, what will happen as you grow through God's word? Well, you increase in spiritual understanding, which means you're going to have um, better uh, spiritual discernment. You'll have a deeper delight in uh, spiritual things which means uh, you become disconnected with, with the worldly things and you find your joy and delights now more in the spiritual dimension, which is unchanging and utterly fulfilling. <laughs> you will have a great love for God and consequently less love for the passing things of the world. You'll experience a strength and faith in the Lord, which is incredibly practical in terms of um, your daily walk as you more fully learn to trust in God and begin to seek him more in all of your decisions. And you will have more consistently in being obedient as therefore more consistent in receiving God's blessings out of those who walk in his statutes. So if you want to know Christ more deeply and grow in his salvation, the best tool is the tool that God has given us and is sitting right in your lap, his word, his word, that's it. That's your nourishment, the pure milk of the word. All right, that brings us to our final point, number five. How do we stimulate this desire to, to long, to really long for his word? You can't wait to get into his word. Number five, survey your blessings. Survey your Look around at how you have been blessed and this kind of takes us back really to where we began. Look at verse 3. It says, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And this echoes Psalm 38, uh, 34, verse 8, which I read at the opening. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And the question Peter's asking in this is, is have you ever tasted the kindness of our Lord? You sure have, haven't you? This word in the Greek can be translated graciousness, goodness, kindness. Have you ever experienced the kindness of the Lord before? Yeah, you have. 
his salvation and blessing in your life? Check. Has he poured out his mercies new every morning on you? Great is his faithfulness? Check. Has he been faithful to you? Yep. Has he blessed you with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies? Uh-huh. Has he answered your prayers? Yes. Have you seen his providence work out all things for the glory of God all the time? Have you experienced his protection before? Uh-huh. This week. Have uh, you seen him at work in the, in the deep things of your, your heart's cry? Yep, all the time. Have you seen him bring joy into your sorrow? Yep. Have you seen him bring comfort into your pain? Has he given you the strength in the midst of a trial? The loss of a wife? The loss of a husband? The loss of a child? Has he carried you through the, the pain of sickness? Has he given you a, a triumphant view over death? Has he freed you of that sin? Have you tasted that the Lord is good? All those things should be right there at the top of your memory. Survey those blessings regularly. Bless the Lord. If you have tasted his kindness, his mercy, this great salvation, well, let me tell you, beloved, there's even more there. Keep surveying. Keep looking. And you'll find even more to praise him for. You know, as I meditated on the church at, at large, um, I think we can all say that we see brothers and sisters who are malnourished, who are struggling in their faith because they don't feed on the pure milk of the word. And they don't long for it. But there's a simple prescription for this spiritual malnutrition. Drink. Drink. As baby desires a pure milk of the word, you desire the truth of God that you may grow as well, if indeed you have tasted the kindness and grace of our Lord. I want to close with a story that I know that uh, you all know well. The story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And for those who don't know, this woman from Samaria had a very difficult and um, challenging, sinful life. Um, we know that she had um, a great many of husbands and was living with a man who was not her husband. She was likely despised um, locally in this first century culture, so much so that as she went to go get her daily need of water, she needed to go right in the middle of the day when the summer sun's heat was at its highest and hottest and all the other women would have gone earlier before sunrise or at sunset. So we can assume that she wasn't invited to go with those women. And so she went in the middle of the day so not to incur the insults from the other women. And so here is this broken woman at the well and Jesus shows up. And Jesus said to her, well, give me a drink, I'm thirsty. He's been walking all morning and the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And, and John lets us know for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. You see, 
the Jews believed that the Samaritans and um, they they had done these things mixed the um, Jewish uh, religion in with pagan religion, and so the Samaritans were this mixed breed of people, and so they literally viewed them as half breeds, both physically because they didn't stay pure to their Jewish line, and then spiritually that they mixed the um, pagan religions with their Jewish faith. And so John lets us know, she says to him, how can you ask me for a drink? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Uh, Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw the water with, and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water from? And so then she says, verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus says, I'm not worried about all of that. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. This is earthly water. He says in verse 14, But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give to him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Well, we know the rest of the story. She then perceives that he is a prophet as he goes on to say, Well, she goes on to say that she knows the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he's going to declare all things. He will know all things. And then there's that great scene where Jesus, speaking to her, tells her everything he knows about her. And he says to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the Christ. I am the one that you've been looking for. And she recognizes Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and says, come and see the man who told me all the things I have ever done. And she hightails it and runs to the village and goes and tells everybody about the Son of God, who knew all of the things about her, all of her sins. And certainly the people back home, they knew about her. They knew all of her secrets. They knew how many times she had been married. But she was so blown away by something that he offered her that she wanted to brag about that he knew all about it. Because it was only he was the one that was able to forgive that sin. They all knew about the sin. It was only he who could forgive that sin and make her clean. Come and see that the Lord is good. Come and drink from living water is the invitation that the Lord Jesus Christ gives today. That's his invitation. If you thirst, come to his well and drink. 
you're in need of prayers this morning, we'd love you to come forward. And I want to invite everyone else to please stand as we sing the song of invitation. Thank you.